where we don't have a piano here or a, or a music box, so we'll just uh, begin without the hymns that we normally have. I did not know that there was power here to this uh, area, but there is. It got lights and we got the recorder plugged in over there, so we do have some power. Well, welcome to Zion, this gorgeous place that we can come to that has such incredible and rich meaning, and we'll probably talk about that, probably not today, but sometime during the Days of Unleavened Bread. I have a question for you. Right now, you can get on the Internet and go to many, many different websites where people are talking about the end of the world as we know it, and they're talking about the financial condition of the nation and of the world. Uh, a lot of gloom and doom in that sense. Uh, they're called gloom and doomers or uh, sunsetters or whatever you, people use to term them. But they're called prepper sites for the most part uh, because people are trying to prepare for things that they feel are coming. That's where that the end of the world as we know it came from. Uh, things are going to change. And there's a certain amount of the population that recognizes that, a certain part that may see some of it but ignore it because they have their own goals and purposes in life. Uh, but you have a hardcore of people who really are getting into prepping. And they have different types of sites. Some are prepping with weapons, some with food, some with bug out places, uh, all kinds of things that they're doing to prepare for what they perceive to be coming. Should we be preppers? Perhaps not in the classic sense of them, because there are certain things we understand that they don't understand. Some of them think we're just going to have a financial reset and then everything will be fine as long as we have silver and gold because that will be real money and the paper money will be nothing. And traditionally throughout history that has been the case. When fiat paper goes to nothing, then gold and silver and gemstones uh, become worth a great deal. So they have limited views and limited understanding of what is coming. Some of them think that it's going to get really, really bad, so there'll be the rapture and all the good guys will go to heaven and all the bad guys like us will be left behind. They certainly wouldn't include us as being in the rapture. Do <laughs> you understand what they mean by that? All right, that was kind of the first question. Should we be preppers? Let's ask another question before we get into all of this too seriously. Is God a prepper? Is he? Revelation 1 and verse 8, I want to lay a little background here. Revelation 1, you know where John is beginning to write the book of Revelation and some of the things he says here. But he makes an important, or Christ actually makes an important statement through John in verse 8. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The Alpha and the Omega. 
It explains that. The beginning and the ending, says the Eternal, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now when he says, I'm the beginning and the end, I start it all, I end it all. And then he puts in there, I was, and that which is to come, the Almighty. So, he knows what is to come. He is very clear on what is to come. I think we can see from that very one, that one statement right there. All right, let's go to Revelation 13 while we're back in this section. And here we pick up verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now we've used this to show that a plan of God was in motion before the world was ever even formed. That he planned to make us kings and priests, but he had something in mind for the future and how everybody someday would worship him. Now, they don't yet, do they? But is he implying or saying here that he has a plan that someday that's going to happen? Now, if he knows that's going to happen, being the beginning and the end, and the one that determines what will happen, he must be preparing and have preparations in place for that to occur, to cause it to happen. Because I think you can look around the world we are in today and see that not all people are going to worship him and no one is going to give him any attention unless he does something to cause it. Therefore, he must have a preparation or a plan in mind. So already we're beginning to see but God is prepared. Uh, turn back to Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3. Now this chapter has to do with there being a time for everything. Uh, all kinds of purposes and plans. Time to be born, time to die, plant and pluck up and so on. A time to kill, a time to heal. But that, that's not what I want to focus on, just a little bit there on the context. But go on down to verse 10, where he says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. Now this is Solomon writing. He's observed humanity. And he's seen that there's a great deal of travail, all kinds of problems uh, that mankind faces. So if you're seeing problems in the world today, there's nothing new under the sun. There have always been problems. Uh, we are in a situation where there will be travail. But notice verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in his time... Also he has set the world in their heart, 
so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. Now here he's implying that God does have a work that he is doing, starting at the beginning and ending at a certain place. But he has laid it out in such a way that mankind cannot understand it. Now because man cannot, does not understand it, does that mean it doesn't exist? No, because he makes it very clear here, it does exist. Well, he knows everything. But mankind knows very little. And did not Christ even say, I speak in parables, so they cannot understand and that they can be taken and snared and deceived. Now, when he came here, did he have a plan before he ever got here? Must have, because he, it had been planned what he would say and what he wouldn't say, how he would say it and how he wouldn't say it. And he must have intended that people be taken and snared and deceived for some reason. Now, why would God want people to be deceived? And yet, he had prepared ahead of time so that they could be. Interesting. Let's go to Proverbs 8. <clears throat> this chapter is talking about wisdom, personifying wisdom, how it has always been there, and how if people would just simply get wisdom, their lives would be better, things would go better for them. <coughs> he goes down... <coughs> oh, I'm, in, I'm still looking at the wrong... 22 is where I want to be. Speaking of wisdom, the Eternal possessed me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. So God had wisdom before the works of creation, way on back, the works of old. He had wisdom all the way back then. What is wisdom? I think, well, among other things, you could define it as knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it uh, because we make stupid mistakes when we don't know how, when, where, why and what but he had it all the way back I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was so God had wisdom before he ever even created the earth are you beginning to get the picture that he could be a prepper? <laughs> Go to Hebrews 1. Uh, let's see, here I want uh, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of of your hands. Interestingly, then Paul says, they shall perish, but you remain. And they shall all wax old, as does a garment, and as a vesture shall you fold them up, and they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall not fail. Does it sound like he has a plan there somehow, that he already knows 
what's coming in the future. So he had wisdom before the earth was, and he has wisdom to understand what will be in the future. Isaiah 64. Well, let's go to 40 first. Isaiah 40. And verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles or the coasts as a very small thing. Lebanon is not sufficient uh, to him, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations are as nothing. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? He talks then about how the workmen melt gold, and you can use wood, and you can do this to make things. Uh, you have a plan of how something wants to look, and... Uh, People have various ways of going about forming art. Somebody says, well, how did you get such a great likeness of an elephant when you carved that? Well, I just cut away everything that didn't look like an elephant, and it worked out. Well, he must have had a plan or a picture in mind, you know, but we, we can joke about such things. So, people can do certain things, but he says in verse 21, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Well, how would we? Except we read it somewhere. It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. And then he can bring princes to nothing, and so on. Verse 27, Why say you, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the eternal, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Are we so presumptuous as to think that God doesn't know everything we think and can pretty well predict well ahead of time what we are going to think and what we are going to do? He's, he's prepared to look at you and know pretty much where you're headed. You may not know where you're headed, but he does ahead of time. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the eternal, the creator of the ends of the earth, thinks not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increases strength. And so on. I'll, I'll hit one more in Isaiah 64. I could go to a plethora of scriptures to make this point, but I just picked out a few. Chapter 64, verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither has the eye seen, O God, beside you, what he has prepared for him that waits for him. Uh, he has prepared something way ahead that mankind has never understood. And Paul even said that with all he knew, 
and all the apostles knew, the mystery of God would not be completely cleared up until the resurrection. Uh, because only then can we really grasp and understand, because it's beyond human capacity to understand the spirit world. We know the physical, and we get a little glimmer sometimes of the spiritual, but it's impossible for us to grasp it. We get just enough of it to want it. All right, that should give us a little bit of an overview that God is indeed a prepper, and I think it should go in that sense without saying we should be too. Because if he prepares, we should prepare. We should be like him and do everything he does and think as he thinks and live by his every word. Therefore, we should be preparing. Now, the preppers in this world, some of them are trying to prepare to go to heaven. Some are preparing to uh, find a place to be safe when the wars start and the finances come down and all that. And uh, perhaps to some degree... We should be too. What do I mean by some degree? I mean we should be. You see, Micah 4 tells us the Babylon is going to be destroyed. And he says, I have a bug out place prepared for you. It's near Zion. And you'll go out into the wilderness and there you'll be delivered. Well, I started preaching that 23 years ago now, that this is something that needed to be done. Well, most people in the church have not yet done that. Most of them have not even heard about it yet, but they will soon. And then they will be constrained to go there if they want to be protected. So some of you have had difficulty. You've wanted to come on out and... Some of you have come part of the time, and some of you wanted to come, or not necessarily ones here, but others have come and then thought, well, I don't see anything happening, so I better go back to where I came from. So they did. Now, will they wake up when some of these things really start coming down? Some of you have said, well, you may need to be where you are at the moment, but keep your gas tank full and uh, be ready to get out ahead of the hordes. <laughs> because we found out in the hurricanes down at uh, uh, Houston that you can't get out in time. Just as soon as the freeway fills or there's one accident or one car runs out of fuel, everything just ceases. And even without those things, it moves at such a crawl with so many people trying to go that it's impossible. And when, how, how does God say that this is all coming down when it does come? Uh, in an instant, one place says, suddenly another does. Revelation 18 says first an hour, I mean a day, and then it says three times in an hour. <clears throat> now that doesn't necessarily mean 60 minutes, but if a day is as a year, an hour is the 24th of a year maybe, <laughs> uh, which is what, about uh, two weeks. Uh, I don't know exactly what he means, but what he's saying is very, very quickly things are going to happen. <coughs> calls it a crash in Zephaniah. Uh, I say I think it's 29, says that it'll be uh, uh, lean out 
like a wall, and a wall can lean and lean and lean, and then it'll crash. And when it does go, it goes in seconds. So an hour, seconds, pick what you want. You better have a plan. You better have a preparation made. And God has told us in his word, really, thousands of years ago, how things would be, what would be happening, and what people would need to do. And now we can read it, and most people read those scriptures, and they still don't understand what it's talking about. They don't have a clue. Uh, maybe some prepper somewhere will read Micah 4 and say, well, I think I better go to the mountain somewhere. But he won't know where or why, except that he's there to save his backside, is uh, the reason he does it. Now, I'm, I'm leading to some proofs now. I, I think we can see from what we've read so far that God is indeed prepared. Uh, and we can use the modern term prepper. That's what it stands for, prepared. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. <coughs> I thought about it a little bit, and I, the only thing I can think of that possibly God was not prepared for, and I'm not going to say he wasn't, I don't see a clue anywhere that indicates he suspected it was coming. Although, uh, when you look at it, you begin to wonder then, maybe even from the time of the creation of the angels who are created beings God designed within them even the capacity to rebel he designed their minds in such a way that they would be loyal and faithful and true but they had not been tried if you will they had been created so God had to have understood I think at least within reason, that the way he had created their minds, there was always the possibility of rebellion. How could he have not known that? Uh, I, I think that he was even prepared, as I think about it, for Satan to rebel. Uh, they knew that it could happen. He hadn't planned that one, I don't believe, but he created those minds in such a way that a third of the demons could follow after one who rebelled. And that's exactly what happened. So, I think it would be limiting God to say that he and Christ uh, did not know anything that was going to come to pass. Uh, obviously, they had a plan to take care of the situation, as we shall see. Uh, and are and will. It's a plan that is uh, in motion at the moment, but is prepared a long time ago. Here in Genesis 1, uh, we can begin to understand how God prepares. And I want to look at many aspects of the Bible in this series to show his preparation, because I think it will do us good to understand how he thinks and what he does uh, when certain conditions exist, which he foreknew, 
and already had a plan in place to take care of. It says, in a beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we already read in Revelation 13, 8, that before this was even done, there was a plan in place for Christ to be slain at a certain point during the history of the earth as created here in the history of man. It was already determined, already set up, prepped for, prepared for, knew how exactly he was going to handle it. And we'll see some interesting things here about things that God prepared ahead of time. Now, before Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are done, we will find that he's created mankind. And not only man, but a helpmate for man, and a source of reproduction of man, uh, and told him to be fruitful and multiply and so on. So he must have had something in mind, and he had prepared a lot of things before he ever put man here. It was without form, and it was void, empty, in other words. Uh, what if he didn't have a plan and had created Adam and Eve before verse 2? That would have been a disaster. <laughs> there, was, there was no form, no shape, and it was void, empty. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So there were waters already here, but the earth was not set up in such a way that it would be amicable or hospitable to any form of life. It was just a blob with nothing showing but water. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, I would not like to have been here before there was light. I walked outside last night for a while and uh, had a full moon and there was light and that was nice. But when I go out, I used to walk across to the hall when we were meeting there on the new moon night. And a uh, time or two I stumbled into things. It was so dark at the new moon that it was inhospitable. I finally got smart after a bung shin or two and decided to carry a flashlight. <laughs> I needed light. He saw the light, it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So he had all of these things prepared ahead of time that he was going to do. And he did them in perhaps even seven literal 24-hour time periods. There was a lot packed in here that had to have been prepared way, way, way ahead of time. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, we've not experienced or seen this, but apparently there was the water that was on the surface of the earth, and then it divided it so there was water above and water beneath. And it's been speculated, and very possibly it's true, that uh, that water that was in a canopy above the earth uh, caused the sun rays to be uh, mitigated to the point that man could live a thousand years. Uh, when that was taken away, apparently, our lifetime immediately changed. 
got shorter. So the waters were separated, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So he had created this water canopy, perhaps, and light from darkness, and then he called that the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together to one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Now, I think this is the first clue that there were no continents in the beginning. The water was gathered into one place, and then dry land appeared. Now, we find in, I think it's Genesis 6, that the earth was divided in the days of Peleg. Well, that wasn't the division of races and languages. That was done at uh, uh, Nimrod's day of Babylon at Babel. So it must have been the physical earth that was divided into continents at that time because it appears here, the water is in one place and the dry land appeared. The dry land he called earth and the gathering together of the waters called he sees and as God saw that it was good. A lot of preparation going on here. Uh, he had it all figured out well ahead of time exactly how he wanted it to be. <laughs> let the earth bring forth grass there was no such thing there was no grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so now how much preparation did that require ahead of time all the symbiotic relationships we have between plants and animals and so on. What if he had planned very intricately to make bees? And he had done all those things necessary with the wings and the body and the, the nectar and, and pollen gatherers and had gotten it all figured out. That must have taken quite a bit of time because there's such detail and their little minds and how they work to make honey. Uh, so he got that bee figured out and he thought oh fiddly dee I didn't make flowers now what so then he had to hastily make flowers before the bees all died I don't think so I think he had it all figured out way way ahead of time and what would need what to survive and how it would do it and it had to all be created very very quickly so that those relationships could be there from the very beginning. Uh, flowers didn't come two million years back and then bees evolved two million years later. They are dependent on each other. Well, we all know evolution is ridiculous, so we won't go there much. But, but look at all the awesomeness of the plan that he had to do. Uh, that a seed would die inside as it gave up its life to form a plant. And how each one of those plants, or each one of those seeds, would produce a different plant, or a different fruit, whatever. Is God a prepper? Boy, did he ever prepare before he began creating the earth. 
And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Not only did he have a plan, a master plan for all of this, in great and minute detail, but then he had the power to make it actually happen out of nothing. There were no seeds. There were no plants. There was nothing. And the evening and the morning was the third day. And then he said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So he says, Well, I'm going to create man. And I have a certain timetable of things that need to be done, and man is going to be constrained to time as I am creating it. Because with him, time means nothing. He's the beginning and the end. Uh, he goes all the way back, and he goes all the way to the future. And so time means nothing to him, but we are limited by time. And therefore, he set up the sun and the moon and said, I'm going to put a calendar in the heavens so you can know what day and what month and what year you're in from the heavens. Well, maybe not the year. We count them, though. So, what an incredible thing that was. When you put the sun and the moon up there, and you have to calculate the exact distances apart so that we don't freeze or fry, and all the things that have to occur and keep occurring over a long period of time, when you and I build a fire, what happens? Hour two or three, she burns out on us. God created that sun, and it just keeps on burning. And that's a huge flame up there, huge flame. And yet it just keeps on burning. He's got it set up so that it burns at a certain temperature. You and I can't plan that well. We build a campfire, for instance, and then we have kind of musical chairs going on. I move my chair up, I move my chair back. I move my chair up and I move it back because I can't regulate the exact temperature of that as I put a new log on or it gets down to embers. Uh, my planning is not that good. But he had it all set up perfectly and you can even tell the seasons from the stars. You and I look up at the stars and we think, boy, that's pretty. Lots of nice stars up there. God created all those. But he named every one of them. He created them and named them all. And not only did he name them, he set them in certain order so that they would rotate and create signs of the seasons, of the holy days. I believe that uh, that book, uh, God's Witness in the Stars, is probably correct that the holy day seasons are all shown year by year in the, in the stars themselves. Bullinger wrote that book. Very, very interesting book. So everything is just super planned. So he put the sun and the moon and said, let them be lights, made great lights, and told them what their job was to do. One to rule the day, one to rule the night. Into the fourth day. 
And he said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. And then you have the whales and the fish and the algae and the seaweed and the crabs and the shrimp and the lobsters and the sea bass and the sharks and the cod and the salmon and just go on and on and on about the different kinds of life that are in the seas. He was well prepared before he started this seven-day process. And that was the end of the fifth day. And then he brought forth the mammals and the other animals like we know, and they made them after their own kind. And he had made them in such a way that there was a method of reproduction that all these creatures would have from worms to whales and some variations and how it would occur but primarily with animals uh, you had to have male and female and they had to have evolved at the exact same moment so that they could reproduce I say that with tongue in cheek uh, incredible detail and then he said let's make man in our image and our likeness and he gave them dominion over all of this. And he made them male and female and told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So the reproductive system was set up there. And he says, I've given you all these things that you have before you. Now he had planned the Garden of Eden well in advance uh, so that mankind could have everything he possibly needed the temperature was perfect day and night never varied it was just right because they could run around naked and never feel hot and never feel cold uh, it was just the perfect temperature there were no weeds there were no stickers they didn't have to wear shoes to keep the goat heads out uh, they didn't need vacuums to get them off when they got in uh, everything was just right no thorns, uh, no creatures, no animals that could harm or hurt you. They all were peaceful, loving, kind, gentle, didn't fight with each other and didn't fight with you. An amazing thing. Now, God had created all this and said it was very good, and that was the end of the sixth day, and then he created the Sabbath. Uh, because he wanted to rest and to establish it as a rest for mankind. Uh, the Sabbath was not made for God. He doesn't get tired and he doesn't lose his focus. The Sabbath was made for man, Christ said, not man for the Sabbath. So he created a period of rest for us as well. What a wonderful thing. So you don't have to go, go, go. 24-7, you just go, go, go 24-6, and then you get a break. What a wonderful thing. <laughs> People don't like that, but that's the way it is. Now, in God's planning, consider this. God had created the human mind in such a way that he knew what it would do. How do I know he knew what it would do? Now, he created the human mind so that it had no envy, no jealousy, no hate, no murder, none of that stuff in his heart. Everything was good, and everybody, that is, Adam and Eve, the only bodies around, 
<coughs> only thought good thoughts. They didn't imagine evil. They didn't understand evil. They had no clue what evil was. <coughs> All they knew was the love of God and the kindness that he had shown. And the relationship with him was just perfect. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have cut us off from God. And they had never sinned. And so had never been cut off from God. There was a perfect loving relationship there. No miscommunication. Everybody understood everything that was said. You can't imagine a world like that. From the day you're born on, you can't imagine that. But that's the way it was. Now, is God a planner? He made them with that kind of mind... And yet at the same time, he made them with a kind of mind that can be changed. It only isn't only women that are allowed to change their mind, you know. Uh, men can too. And Adam and Eve both did. Their mind changed. All it took was a little bit of outside influence. And the perfectness or the perfectness and the beauty of the human mind turned in a moment, in a flash, from being a beautiful, wonderful thing to being full of carnality and jealousy and ego and all the things that we experience as humans today on this earth. They started then and they've been there ever since. Well, now, Christ was ordained to come and do what? Save man from their sins long before man was ever created, before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. God planned for us to sin. He planned for that. He knew it was going to happen. Do you think he was so naive that he created these two perfect beings that had no sin no sadness, no sorrow. Everything was perfect. And he planned ahead of time we would all go south. He designed it in such a way that it could. Not only that it could, but that it would. And he had a plan in mind that when it happened, he'd do something about it someday. Not all done yet, but there's a process in motion that will fix it. So he planned for it to happen, knew exactly what would happen, and that makes me even firmer in thinking that he knew that Satan could and possibly would rebel at some point. He was prepared for it. And he has a plan that goes down through all of human history to the end of it, wherein Satan is going to be taken care of. So he had a plan from clear back here till the end of man's history to take care of the problem. What I'm wanting us to do is understand what a great God we have. That he knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. Mankind does not. Mankind hates him. We used to hate him. We hated to do whatever he said. And even those who use God's name and Christ's name hate what he says to do. So they say, oh, it's all about play with. We don't have to do that. We can do this. 
We don't have to do that. So when he planned that Garden of Eden, <coughs> here's proof that he knew exactly what was going to happen. He put two trees. One of them, if you ate it, everything was going to go south. The other one, if you ate it, it, you would live forever. And he knew they'd either the one that made everything go south, not that south's a bad direction, but it's a term we use. He knew. And therefore, he had a plan already in motion that when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would have to kick them out of the garden before they got to eat of the eternal life tree but they were still carnal. Now, had they been carnal and rebellious and eaten of that tree, we'd be in deep, deep trouble now. Because we would live forever in misery, just like the earth is around us. Violence, hate, jealousy, envy, murder. Oh, you name it. It's all here. So he didn't want to be to that. But when he designed it, he also had four rivers coming out of Eden that could be used to heal all the earth. You won't find those in the Middle East, but you do find them up here at the north end of Zion. Four rivers coming out of one lake, four heads out of one spot. That isn't done anywhere else on earth that I know of. Rivers come, one starts here, one starts here, and they run down valleys and come together and form one. And as it goes, it gets bigger and bigger because more valleys it draws feed into it. But he's talking about one coming, one source, and four coming out of that one source. Where do you find that? Maybe somebody ought to do some research, find out where that occurs. There's only one place I know, and it's about 20 miles north of us here. But he planned that because he knew that the earth was going to be polluted and destroyed way ahead of time. He knew exactly what would happen and that those waters would need to come out and heal it. So he made them in the Garden of Eden and he's going to set up his kingdom in the same place and the water will come out from his throne to heal the nations here after the day of the Lord and basically the end of man's 6,000 years to heal in the millennium what has been destroyed. So he had all these completed plans to take care of everything that would ever happen. How good are you? You don't even know what's going to happen in a day. And you certainly don't have a plan to take care of all of it. And he even told us, don't even say what's going to be tomorrow because you may not even be here. <laughs> All of your plans and purposes might just be gone because you don't exist anymore. But he's the eternal. He's the ancient of days. He can plan something thousands of years ahead of time and it will happen exactly the way he planned it, how he planned it, and when he planned it. He knows exactly what he's doing. Now, I don't always know what he's doing. He gives us an awful lot of clues in here what 
he has planned and what he's going to do, but he doesn't give us every detail of it, does he? He doesn't tell us exactly the day and the hour and the year and who will do it or when they'll do it or how they'll do it. He gives us a lot of general information and some specifics that we can watch for. Let's never lose sight of the fact that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows everything that's going on in this world right now. He knows of every secret meeting. He knows of every secret conversation. He knows every plan, every conspiracy, every plot. All those things. Now, we get frustrated because things may not happen exactly how or when we imagined they would. And then we can begin to lose faith and trust in him that he knows what he's doing. It isn't his problem, it's our problem. We are the ones who question what he is doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, and when he's doing it. But he knows. Now we'd love to have a pipeline so he could whisper in our ear and tell us everything, wouldn't we? Not the way he works. Not the way he works at all. We'll see some of the ways that he works that are, in some ways, a surprise. But he knew exactly what would happen to Adam and Eve when Satan got with them. And it happened probably, I would guess, right after the Sabbath. First Sabbath, they were there. Sunday morning, Satan had a service. Began the Catholic Church. The Universal Church. <laughs> It was universal, wasn't it? Two people on the earth, and both of them worshipped Satan. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as long as it took to say, yeah, I think I'll have some of that fruit, but it was done. They changed churches right then. They changed God. Well, we've done almost an hour. <laughs> but uh, let's think about God as the prepper, and then let's understand I'm going to show you a lot of things in here that are that I find very interesting to contemplate uh, of how he does and what he goes through in order to get things to happen the way he wants them to and to maneuver and, and cause people to do what he wants them to do if he's working with them and what his plan is so uh, this there's an awful lot that we can cover but we'll stop there for today since the motorcycles haven't stopped.